Hour number two, Canucks Central. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah sitting here in the mobile Kintec studio. And the Kintec studio is on the road today at Rogers Arena as we get ready for the final preseason game for the Vancouver Canucks. They take on the Calgary Front Flames uh, looking for revenge after the 10-0 drubbing at the hands of the Flames earlier in preseason. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is a Friday, so let's get right into it. It's the Mailbag. Mailbag Friday, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, and uh, producer Josh Elliott-Wolf, who is with us here at Rogers Arena today. Can't see you guys, though. No. I miss you. We are uh, on the other side of the booth now. Yeah, we are. We uh, we went from the Jim Robson. Well, no, we're still in the Jim Robson. We're still in the Jim Robson yeah. broadcast gondola. We're just in a different section. You're yeah, about as far away in it as you can get from yeah, me right yeah. now. Yeah, we're in radio booth three. Yes. Josh is in radio booth one. Yeah, I am. Home radio booth. Yes. Uh, let's start with this one from JD. What are the top three outcomes that the Canucks need for a hot start this year? Top three outcomes. That's so I guess question. the the three keys to the Canucks getting off to a hot start. Uh, so how, I mean, how granular do we want to go on this year? Uh, I mean anything really. So uh, obviously, I think the obvious thing is we talked about it quite a bit in the first bit of the show. Getting off to a good start in the game, can you have a good first <laughs> period, right? Like that's n- oh, the that, number one thing that has to happen. Like you have to so, be consistent right out of the bat. Right so out of have the game. a positive first period goal differential. Would that be one for you? That would be positive. Yes, I take yeah. that. I take that. Now, that doesn't mean have a great first period and then suck the rest of the game. We still need to put together <laughs> as close to 60 minutes as possible, right? But I'd say one of the three would have to be get off to good starts in games, first period starts. Um, it, it is a good team perspective. And, you know, for me, <laughs> can the penalty kill be above 80%? Yeah. For the first, I mean, even 85% would be nice for the first 10 games of the season. But, you know, in such small samples, it can vary quite a bit, right? Like one bad game against the Oilers might tip that down a few ticks on the percentage points and the overall success rate. But you've got to be not a record bad penalty kill <laughs> for the first bit of the season in order for this team to have success. Don't be historically bad is what yes. you're saying. Yeah, um, that would be helpful. So you I speak much better English <laughs> than I do, Seth. <laughs> so I'd say the, the three for me then would be, you're right, special teams. I put power play on it too. You need the special teams to be good. Get off the f- good first period starts. And st- your stars being your stars. Yeah. You know, because I think all the um, – all the secondary pieces should go to help your PK and should go to have a good enough team that can get off to a good start. So I, I'd view the supporting cats as being part of that discussion. But your stars have to be the stars. Your goalie has to be good. Your top defenseman has to be good. And your two centermen at the top have to be good. Yeah. Um, Canucks can't afford to have Miller start as slowly as he did last year or Demko start as slowly as he did last yeah. year. They need their guys to be on point because this team's ultimate success is very dependent on them. Yes, we spent a lot of preseason talking about um, you know, fixing the bottom half of the roster and who can help them in these spots, but most teams, as we know, go by the way of their stars, and the Canucks are no different on that front. So those would be the three things. 
Next one from Kai. We kind of talked about it a bit earlier, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how stupid would it be for the Canucks not to grab Marcus Bjork off waivers, and why is the answer clearly 10? I'm not sure if I feel as strongly about him as Kai does, although Kai does make a compelling argument for Marcus Bjork, and I understand why he wants him, and I'm all for it. I just don't think it's, it's quite yeah. at that. To me, like a 10 out of 10 is like, this is a guy who's going to be an everyday player and maybe a top four defenseman. Like, what are we doing not picking this guy up? I feel like Marcus Bjork is to Kai what Phil DiGiuseppe is for me. So, yeah, you're not going to hate on it then. <laughs> so you're you're completely on board with the, um, with look, the love. Marcus Bjork, uh, I, I, I would imagine uh, some of our more casual listeners may not know who Marcus Bjork is. He played his first NHL game. Uh, first NHL season last year, came over from Sweden a couple of years ago with the Columbus Blue Jackets, played 33 games at 11 points, three goals. Is six foot three, over 200 pounds, skates pretty well, moves the puck fairly well. His analytics, com- like not that they were great, but comparative to his teammates in Columbus were, were better than what his team was showing. So there's some reason to believe that there's a player in there, and he's – Part of a numbers game in Columbus where they just added Damon Severson mm-hmm. and they've got a really good decor on the way on the come up as well. So that's sort of the Coles notes here on Marcus Bjork. I wonder, 25 years old, also from Sweden, if the Canucks general manager has more intel than maybe we do on Mar- Marcus Bjork. So we'll find that out in the next 24 hours. I would imagine Canucks pick up somebody, though, in the next little bit. As for Marcus Bjork, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced. Like, I'm not going to be entirely convinced on, on any of these guys. Fact is, any anybody the Canucks pick up off of waivers is going to be a project. Marcus Bjork would be no different. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're hoping that you find something that can be an everyday player for you. I mean, there have been some decent waiver pickups over the years. And, I mean, guys that were picked up on waivers one year and then became free agents free agents the next year and had success. Travis Boyd was a guy that Canucks picked up off waivers, played here in the North Division season, went to free agency, and then had a great year with the Coyotes and got paid, and now he's a solid bottom six centerman. So there are guys that, that work out for you, but sometimes the guy you pick up doesn't even work out for you that year yeah. and uh, figures it out down the road. But I'm all for it. Like Marcus Bjork, I'd be all for making a waiver claim. Uh, next one comes from Hassan from Burnaby. Is it time to move on from Hoaglander on Pod Colson? Pods hasn't shown anything. Hoaglander has had flashes but looks to be the 13th forward. Well, I guess you're getting to a point, and it, and it may already be there with Hoaglander where because of his contract situation now – where interest around the league is not what it was maybe 12 months ago. Yeah. Uh, when we know the Carolina Hurricanes, at least, were, were interested in acquiring Nils Hoaglander. Now, you know, he's getting paid 1.1 over the next two years. So that changes matters a little bit. Once you get out of that entry-level contract, the player is probably not going to be as attractive around the league. The thing with Pod Colson, he's still so young. He was a 10th overall pick. Teams are always going to be interested in seeing if they can get that player to realize their potential. I like pods enough that I'm not so ready on giving up on his overall upside, but I wouldn't be opposed to moving either player in the right move that could help the Canucks maybe get somebody with 
some upside on D. It, it, w it would all have to, like, I'm not going to throw out names or anything like that, but I don't think they're at a point where they're, like, untouchable prospects or anything like that. So, yeah, you'd listen for the right move should one come about. Yeah, I mean, and, and here's the thing. Like, what type of defenseman are you getting for a winger, to be honest, right? Like, l again, a guy that we mentioned before that he's now looks to be one of the part, one of the top eight defensemen with the Carolina Hurricanes is Dylan Coughlin, who's, you know, from these parts as well. They sent Caleb Jones down. Are they going to hold on to him? He's obviously a guy who's a tweener player so far, a righty defenseman, but there is some hope that maybe he can play every day in a third-pair role. Like, is that the caliber of, a caliber of player you're talking about, which may or may not be very um, um, exciting anyways when you look at, you know, what the hope had been around a Hoaglander or what yep. the hope had been around a Putkolzin being top six forwards. I think we put Coles in there some more time. I wonder if he is getting frustrated with, you know, being sent down and how he feels about everything. You still have waiver eligibility. I mean, uh, uh, he exemption. So with him, you have some time with Hoaglander. I think the value has diminished quite a bit. I'm not worried about trading Hoaglander, to be honest, depending on what you get back in return. I'm not necessarily worried about trading Put Coles in either, but I think Put Coles in has more repeatable traits that if you just give him away for free, you might regret that more. Yeah, and... You know, the idea that Pod Colson, you know, started his career so promising with that 13-goal rookie season and is where he is now, you know, it uh, hints at a stunted development for the player, but still a lot of talent there. Next. Next one from Colin. This team is not a playoff team as the roster sits. Do you think they pull off a trade before opening day? Uh, ooh trade okay i'd say an addition i'm not sure if it's going to be a trade i do think again like i mentioned before and i know dolly all mentioned as well like i wouldn't they are working and i wouldn't be surprised if they do make some sort of a trade i i'd sum it up as an acquisition so noah julson's getting to play here in this final preseason game and i know we don't want to dwell too much on the game but it feels like a spot for him to prove himself a little bit more yeah. or find a little bit of the mojo that he had towards the end of last year where he started to win over some people and earned himself another contract with this organization. It's only one game, though. You can't make too drastic of a decision on that small of a sample size. If there's a player out there on waivers that the Canucks do like, they'll pick them up no matter what happens in this game tonight. I will say that about Noah Toulson and whatever is happening on the Canucks defense. As far as any kind of a big trade, like big trades aren't happening. Uh, the ones that are like a blockbuster trade, they just they're not happening this early in the season. We've talked so much. Sad is always the Grim Reaper whenever it comes to <laughs> trade speculation <laughs> around these parts. You know, he quickly shuts it down and reminds us of how little cap space there is around the league. But it's true. And so, yeah, there's nothing roster altering that this team like really roster altering that this team can do now to significantly change or in the questionnaire's mind, significantly upgrade their chances mm -hmm. of making the playoffs or decrease their chances of making the playoffs. The team is mostly, it is what it is. And any sort of move that could help them improve their upside happens later in season as we get closer to the trade deadline. Next one from Van Island Knucklehead. Do you think the Canucks should go in on trying to get Alexi Lafreniere? 
I mean, go in. I mean, can you get Alexis Lafreniere without giving up a first-round pick? Then I'm for it. I'm not giving up a first-round pick for a winger, even if he was the first overall pick. Yeah. You know, like that. that given what this team requires, st still take that step. I don't think it's a winger they need. Mm -hmm. But I am all for exploring a trade for a guy like Alexis Lafreniere because if you are able to get him for a relative discount and now give up a first-round pick, there's a chance he might be an impact player down the road. Maybe not what you had hoped as a first overall pick, but maybe he can be a good... Yeah, he's, he's got size. He's got, he's got decent speed. He's got good hands. He can crash the net. Like He's he's a talented hockey player. Yeah. So I'm not against going after him at all. I just don't think the team is in a position where they should be trading a first-round pick for a winger. So, you know, there there is some thought that the Canucks have shown interest in Lafreniere in the past when trade and speculation around the player picked up at, some, at different points last year. But he's now getting paid. Right, so at a contract over the next two years of two, three, two, five, that's not exactly something the Canucks can just pick up without having to send a contract or money back the other way. It's not a simple transaction for the team to make. It's the kind of thing that Jim Rutherford hinted at earlier in his tenure as president of Hockey Ops with this team, uh, taking chances on guys that hadn't lived up to their potential just yet. But it has been pretty ugly for Lafreniere. And <laughs> I, um, I read a piece from Larry Brooks yesterday talking about how bad Lafreniere has been <laughs> in preseason. And the line that just made me chuckle was just was this. I, much like Hall of Fame announcer Jack Buck when Kirk Gibson went deep against Dennis Eckersley in game one of the 1988 <laughs> World Series, Cannot believe what I saw. Oh, man, that is pretty dramatic. <laughs> that is pretty dramatic. Paints a picture, though. So he can't believe how bad Alexis Lafreniere has been in this preseason. I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched much Neither Rangers preseason other than, like, seeing it out of the corner of my eye uh, at, during yesterday's show. Yes, And, you know, Lafreniere, I think he had one chance in the, in the minutes that we did see while we were doing the show yesterday afternoon. But... Everything coming out of there is a really like it's a red flag around Alexis Lafreniere. Now that he's getting paid, it's not as easy as just you know picking him up and, and seeing what it would take. It's it's a it's a significant contract you'd be taking on now as well. This one from Aaliyah: Should the Canucks be worried yet about not taking Zach Benson? Um, I mean, here's the thing to me: worried yet? He was drafted what three months ago? Yeah. He's looked terrific in the preseason. Yeah. But, I mean, realistically, like, let, let's see what it looks like. In the, like For me, talk about regret. Let's talk about regret when we get to games when they matter and the guy sticks and shows like he's here. We've seen guys flash in the preseason in the past, and we've seen it not lead to a lot later, yeah. right? Like, those things do happen. Now, I do think Zach Benz is a super impressive player. He's going to be a top six player in the NHL. The question is how high end is that going to be? Right now, he looks like he could be a star-level player. And... And if he does end up being that, and we see in two years that Tom Willander is nothing but a third pair of D, then it's going to look horrible, yeah. right? But I don't think we're, like, three months removed, we can with any level of certainty say that it's a mistake to draft that guy. I think, that, I mean, it's, it's no more a mistake today than you thought what it was the day the draft happened. You know what I mean? Like, to me, the three months hasn't changed anything. Like, if that was your view, sure, I mean, that's your opinion. But nothing's happened between then and now for that opinion to change in terms of evidence. 
You know what I mean? Like, I know it's preseason, but again, we've seen preseasons where Brandon Reed, Steve Korea, and all these guys went off. Ty Ratty. Right. Like, you see this all the time. And what does it lead to? Nothing. So, so let's see what happens first. He's been really good in the preseason, but it is preseason hockey. So, yeah. It feels like a little bit of confirmation bias from a lot of people. Like, if you thought Zach Benson was going to be this great, incredible hockey player, and now you're watching preseason games and he's been a great, incredible hockey player, well, then you're like, see, I told you so. <laughs> but it's, it's not quite as black and white as that. It's the preseason still. And, yes, he's been extremely impressive in these preseason games. But what did we say at the draft and what do we continue to say all the time on this show? Right shot defensemen are far more valuable in this league than wingers are unless you are a true play driving top of the lineup winger it's hard for you to match the value that a top four right shot defenseman can bring to a team a quality top four yeah. right shot defenseman that's the type of potential the Canucks were banking on when they drafted Tom Willander and the thing is we're not going to see it for a few years with Willander and what sort of puts a microscope on this too now, Sad, is the Canucks have a pretty glaring spot in their lineup where they could use another offensive play-driving type player, and a Zach Benson could potentially fit right into the Canucks lineup today, given what we've seen from Hoaglander and Pod Colson and some others, but that's obviously not going to happen. That would be my big thing is, you know, Zach Benson showing that he could be a player that helps right away rather than you having to wait for a Tom Willander for a couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, the Canucks do need a top six forward, but they also need long-term or a, a top six winger and a play driving forward, even if it's a center or a winger, and that's, that's a priority. But we always talk about how hard it is to find right-handed defensemen. Yeah. And we still complain about right-hand defensemen costing too much, whether it's via trade, whether it's paying high draft capital. But that's the thing. Like, unless unless you invest in finding right-handed defensemen, you're not going to find them. Yeah, that's just that's just how it is. It's uh, you know the the one look. I, I'd still I'd still say um, New Jersey won the Taylor Hall for Adam Larson trade, but it didn't turn out to be the landslide a lot of people thought it was going to be when the trade was initially made. Now, Adam Larson developed into a very quality right shot defenseman for the Edmonton Oilers and has continued to be for the Seattle Kraken. Taylor Hall, you know, his career peaked at a pretty high level when he won that Hart Trophy. But again, the value that a stay-at-home right shot defenseman in the mold of an Adam Larson can bring to a team is immense. And it's very difficult to find those players. And that's why you draft the right shot defenseman as the Canucks did. This one from Basketball Phil. Toronto is out on the WNBA. If there was an owner in place here in Vancouver, do you think a team would work? I would love to see it personally. And uh, I don't pretend to know some of the particulars of what it costs to bring a WNBA franchise um, but I don't think it was all that much. I think it was like 50 million bucks, if I remember off the top of my head, for the team to, to end up in Golden State and in yes, San Francisco. Yep. So, you know, that's something in, in a world where we see franchise values growing at an exponential level. I would expect anybody making that sort of investment, whether it's Toronto or Vancouver, that would be an investment you end up making on. Because if you look at the numbers and you look at the 
market for women's sports and how much it continues to grow in recent years from viewership numbers. There's a lot that is trending up to suggest that the 50 million is going to look like a small number when you really uh, sort of project it out over the next 10 years. Now, it might be some lean years in there as you tr really try to grow with the product, but down the line, something like that is, is going to bring return on investment. I'm with you. I think I think it can work. It's not going to be these massive numbers, but I, I do think it can work, and the long-term investment will pay off. This one from Justin in East Van. Can you do a one-arm push-up? So is this uh, in relation to the Elias Pettersson video yes. with yeah, the yeah. Canucks Jr. reporter? Yeah. Yep. I could maybe do one one-arm push-up. I don't think I've tried doing a one-arm push-up in a very long time. I think I could pull it off. I feel like Sat definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, have no I feel like new Josh can, can, too. Yeah, Josh. New Josh. I yes. don't know if new Josh can. Josh 2.0. I would be very surprised. <laughs> Is that weird that I called him new Josh? I don't think it's weird. No, new I'm Josh. Or Josh 2.0. <laughs> Josh 2.0. It's 2. like Tosh point. I was, I was thinking the same thing, point oh, <laughs> or point one. <laughs> Josh point one. He's incrementally getting bigger. I've just got a minor <laughs> software update. It's not enough for a new number, but uh, Josh had to get bigger T-shirts because uh, he's just he's so swole now that he had to he had to buy a whole new wardrobe. It's I great. Well, then he out of them. Well, oh, you, well, you did, and <laughs> I mean, and he used the opportunity wisely to like reinvent his, himself and his wardrobe. It's it's it was, it's, it's it's quite the uh, it's quite the coming of age story here. It is. It's new Josh. I'm glad to be doing this all in front of you guys. <laughs> Uh, he is maturing in front of our eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one, Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen. What are your top five favorite Thanksgiving slash holiday side dishes? Uh, top five side stuffing dishes. Stuffing has to be number one. Stuffing. I don't know if it's. I don't know if I can give you rankings. So a good stuffing can be great, but a bad stuffing is. I agree. Very yeah. I agree. Not good. I had stuffing once that had broccoli in it. Oh. And it wasn't very good. The thing with broccoli, like it can smell. So. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> it wasn't great. And I don't, and I like broccoli, just yes. not in the stuffing. Was all, yeah. Not in the stuffing. Um, mashed potatoes. I don't care what anybody says. Mashed potatoes definitely there. Bick is waving broccoli at us as we speak. Uh, yeah, mashed potatoes, hundred um, percent. What else is there? There's like Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts, yes, that would not be my list. Brussels sprouts with bacon, though. Yeah. With, no, no, without bacon. No, too with much. bacon. I'm no, good with either. I don't need the bacon. I'm no. good without the bacon. Bacon bits. I, I can live without the bacon. You can bits. tell who the fat guy is on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no bacon bits. Um, let's see what else. Um, oh, green beans, like nice sautéed green beans are fantastic. With garlic. Yes. I feel like we're missing a, a main one. We are. I think we're missing a couple of people are probably texting in right now. Um, um, yeah, people are definitely texting in right now. I mean, I've always just been a big potato guy. Um, my uh, my family would have. Peas and mushrooms uh, was a big side dish as well for our Thanksgiving dinners as we went away from our uber Italianness and tried to assimilate with the local cultures. Yes. <laughs> so we <laughs> peas and mushrooms. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is a good yeah. one too. I was gonna, I was just gonna say mac and cheese. It's not a traditional one, but I think it's a great side dish. I gotta say, I love the cranberry. Like, honestly, cranberry stuffing, mashed potatoes, and gravy. Those four, like. <laughs> I know they're just the staples, but I can live with just that. They're the staples for a reason. Yeah. Make them give well. me Brussels sprouts. Oh, my goodness. Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are great. They are really they good. They make my list. Uh, last one, we'll end with this. Discount Dracula. 
Since Halloween size candy has been out since August 31st, have you bought in a box yet? No. I have not. I'm trying to be new Dan. No. I was inspired by new Josh, so Damn I'm trying to be no. new Dan. Ah. No, I mean nobody like I live I live in a condo, so like nobody comes trick or treating. <laughs> so like what am I buying it for? It's not for myself. Yeah. It's uh living in a condo you don't really get a ton of uh ton of trick or treaters. No. Well you don't get any. No. Um so and like there's there on my floor there are no children. No, nobody has children on my floor. Yeah. And you can't get up to any of anybody else's floor or down to anybody else's floor if you don't have the fob. So like literally unless somebody breaks into our building, I'm not getting trick or treaters. I uh I did buy a box. My you fiance, did? my fiance and I and friends are slowly working our way through it. Wow. Because uh, like I every year I see the one that has like Reese's and O Henry and the Hershey's cookies and cream, and it's like, man, those are just three really good things. I usually just wait for the day after and buy buy a box then. Get yeah. on discount. Get yeah, the discount fair. box. I find they go they like get discounted early now. Like yeah. they're trying to get them out before Halloween. Well, yeah, if you haven't bought, if like if if you're still looking, if you go into grocery stores or stores the day of or day before Halloween, it probably is discounted. Yeah, because people have already bought a lot ahead of time, and last minute nobody's really buying it. You're probably trying to just get as, get as much as you can out the door. Trying to get rid of their inventory. Yeah. And then I make way for the Black Friday inventory. Yes. I think I think that box is, is probably the goat box, though. The one that Josh was mentioning. Yeah, it probably is. But it's it, hard to beat. It's, it's also like if you're a big peanut butter and chocolate guy, then that's, that's the box for you, right? And that's generally what I am. Uh, all right. That's it for the mailbag here on uh, Canuck Central. Uh, every Friday we do it at Satyar Shah. We'll prompt you for your questions, and we appreciate all of them. We try to get to as many as we can through the course of the mailbag. Always subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss an edition of the mailbag, any of our exclusive interviews. And now that the Canuck season is starting, every single post-game show after every single Vancouver Canucks game. Preseason and all 82 during the regular season and those potential playoff games as well. You are listening to Canuck Central.